Well, as we continue in our sermon series on the parables of Jesus, today we come to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and it's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, and I'll be reading verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time had come when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them, listen to, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, how they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray for Pastor Mike. Lord Jesus, we pray today that as we are confronted with words that may seem fearful to us, God, that we would respond to them with with reverence and with an open heart, ready to hear the warnings that we have the opportunity in this life to respond to. Lord, because indeed there was one who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, and he warns us here today. So God, as Pastor Mike comes, fill him with your Holy Spirit. Let his words be your words, and open each of our our hearts and our ears that we might hear and receive what you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I'm sorry I wasn't in here earlier to say hello to a lot of you, but I'm glad to see you here now. Um, Great celebration in your church over the past few weeks. Last Sunday afternoon in the chapel, um, 18 folks, some of which are here right now, joined your church, became full members. So the good news is you're a church that's going up, not going down like many in our denomination are. And I'm going to couple that with this. Excuse me. Earlier today, I was asked when I came into this service, are the front four rows reserved? They are not. So let me remind you of that. There's space. So, my friends, since we're a church that's on the way up, your friends, get fishing in your pond. Let's bring your friends to, uh, be great to bring them to church. Be better yet to bring them to Christ. So, 
Come on in. Going to spend a few moments today as preparatory remarks on what we're doing here. For Pastor Keith and I, the task of preaching, that is exhorting the Word of God to you, is primary among all the tasks we have. We, we do do other things other than preach, but I will tell you that the task of preaching is the primary thing we think is important to this particular congregation. So we spend hours every week preparing to preach these moments. Now, let me tell you one of the, diff- one of the exciting things. Uh, today, 55 million people will listen to a billion words of preaching in the United States. That's pretty good news, right? But guess what? Of those billion words, there will be many that have this one complaint. They'll say this, it's boring and it doesn't relate to my life. That hurts preachers' hearts. But I also know it's sometimes true. We, of course, endeavor to never be boring here. So I want to tell you a little bit about this. This is the purpose of preaching at Marian Methodist. This is what he and I endeavor to do. First, I want to tell you, we don't preach because it's part of our job description requirements. Nor do he and I ever stand up here hoping that we might entertain you or tickle your ears in some particular way. That's not what we get up here for. We get up here and we prepare and we pray so that we might make us more like Christ around three things. We're trying to develop three things. We endeavor to develop in you Christ-like convictions. Now, conviction is what directs your life. Whatever you're convicted to will be the direction your life will, will lead. That, that, that direction is, is the way your life will go. See, so make no mistake about this. When we come to preach on a Sunday morning or any other time you hear us, whether it be at Wednesday night or 412, our preaching endeavors to change your minds from you to him. We're trying to help you get your thinking move from you to him. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, that's your thinking, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Your conviction in all things, voting, shopping, working, playing, being in your family according to the Christian way should be the same as Christ Jesus. How you act in those things, how you think in those things, should be the, you should aspire to have your thinking be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So make no mistake about this. For the sake of Jesus, every week, Pastor Keith Nestor and myself stand right here trying to change your mind. We do not apologize for that. It is our primary task and role. One purpose of preaching is to influence your thoughts. We'll not use hypnosis. We won't use any precious stones. We won't say any special formulas, incantations, or throw potions out on you. Nor would we ever seek to brainwash you. But we will seek to be true, to be clear every single word week about the truths of scriptures. And we will do everything we can to keep your attention focused on them in such a way that by your own volition, the desire of your own mind will become to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Secondly, we preach to develop within you Christ-like character. Again, make no mistake about this. 
for the sake of Jesus, every week we preach to influence the way you feel, the way you feel in your lives, in your heart. And here's why. The life in the world in which we live can feel like a hurricane. Doesn't it for some of you? Doesn't it feel like a hurricane sometimes where there's this impossible winds of, uh, that are swirling our emotions? There's this crashing waves that are pummeling our spirits. The rain of bad news seems to pour down all around us like torrents. And the water of the difficulty of life seems at times to be rising, rising, rising. And we're in the middle of it. And so our preaching invites you to a safe harbor to a place where no matter what's going on in your life, you can feel peace in every part of your spirit. Hear what Paul says in Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule. Now, when something rules, that means it reigns over. It's in charge of. So when we preach, we preach that the peace of Christ might rule over your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom and psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit and singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. See, we're convinced in the midst of a very messy and broken world, if we let Christ master our hearts, we can feel peace in our hearts and we can be peaceable people and we can live in thanksgiving. Consuming this word, the word of the gospel, will not eliminate children getting sick. will not. It will not eliminate difficult economic times. It will not eliminate broken social systems or any of the many hurricanes of disaster that are heading right towards you individually or us corporately. Receiving the word, though, It provides a feeling of peace that in the midst of all that life is, in the midst of all that life is, and the world in which we live, we can have that moment of peace. So we we, we seek to develop your character like Christ, and we seek, thirdly, to develop in you Christ-like conduct. Every single week when I stand here, We preach to to influence you in such ways that you will do in your living, that you'll do, that you'll take what the Word says and you'll do in your living exactly what the the Word of God says we should do. Do we inform you? Absolutely. We we spend time. We study. We we listen to things on the Internet. We read stuff. We we study. We pray. Of course. so, so, So when we come here, we inform you. But our desire and our drive is to transform the activity of your lives and to put it into alignment with Christ, which is why Paul goes on saying, and whatever you do, you know, you circle that word, whatever you do, whether, you, whether in word or do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't do it all in the name of Mike Moore. You don't do it all in the name of First Methodist Church. You don't do it all in the name of the Cleveland Indians or the Chicago Cubs. You do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's why we stand in this spot. Anything else? Anything less? Nah, it's just talking. It's just talking. So, if you get bored, I apologize. But that's not what we came along to do. 
So let's go right to the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And like I tell my confirmation students, I tell you today, let's not make it hard. Let's not make this parable hard. We could spend a lot of time in this parable on the nature of heaven and hell because it is described here. I mean, you may know, maybe you don't know, that the, the Jews believe that, that the, the, the vision of heaven was the banquet of the righteous, which means that all the people that had known God through their lives and that had lived lives according to the, the, the tenets of Scripture, they received the banquet of the righteous. And there were Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, and all the cats from the Old Testament were there with them, and they just feasted in righteousness. I mean, it even says that. Jesus himself says this. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He just says that because that's just, they all know that. That, that, That's really not what that's about. Not only that, but, but we could spend a lot of time on, that's the nature of heaven, but what about the nature of hell? There is an eternal punishment for the unrighteous, which is to say, by the way, the devil's not just from Halloween. So when that little kid that's the devil comes up and gets a Kit Kat bar from you tomorrow night, they represent something far more difficult than a little kid in a red suit. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You are cursed. That's not good, by the way. You are cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels shall you go. So see, Jesus presents this this idea of of heaven and hell simply as a matter of common understanding, as a way of saying, well, you know how this all goes. There is a judgment, and therefore, you need to act and feel and think according to God's way. Otherwise, you will be judged poorly. And here's the two contrasts. The misery of where the rich man is Because he says, I'm in misery because of these flames or the banquet that Lazarus feasts on with Lazarus. Lazarus. But but his intensity, Jesus' intensity in the parable is not directed at that. That's that's an image he puts in there so that we might understand where he's going. But his intensity is directed at the right now of our lives and at the right now of their lives. And specifically, he asks this question, what do you do, what do you do with what you've been given matters to God. What you do with what you've been given matters to God. See, the Jews were rich. That's the context of this story. They, They were rich not because they had lots of money, though they did, but they were rich because they feasted on God's spiritual blessings. We know that they're the chosen people, right? Anybody that's been to church more than a couple weeks has read something about that. They were given the words of God first, and they feasted on God's spiritual blessing. But that richness is what caused them to stumble. They got to be knowing themselves as the chosen people, and their self-righteousness led them to love themselves more than they loved others. They loved the wealth of their blessing. They thought and they shared with everything. Everyone, hey, we deserve it. We're the chosen people. We got the best portion, and their self-absorption was their sin. They thought they mattered most. They thought they mattered most to God and most to everyone else. And so their lack of sharing because they despised other people is what causes them to stumble and fall. See, the rich man goes to hell because of something he didn't do. He goes to hell because he doesn't even notice Lazarus, not alone help him. He looks at the world suffering eye to eye. He does nothing about it. Doesn't even raise his eyebrows. So let's not make this hard today. 
What will you do with what you've been given? You've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of us here have been to church more than once. You've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Jesus says to the rich, this is what he says to the rich man, rich man says, hey, warn my brothers. I don't want them to burn up like I am. Warn my brothers. Jesus basically says this. He, He almost exactly says this. Everything you need to know I've already given you. And, of course, he says to the Christian church in the world today, everything you need to know is right there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and all the others. This, that's for you. What, what are you doing with your spiritual blessing? You know, that's a profound question. I got four empty rows. What are we doing? Five, six, seven. What are we doing with our, the profound spiritual blessing that we've been given? What are we doing it right now? Are we seeking to use it anywhere? Are we like the Jews? and Are we hoarding this spiritual blessing? Are we saying, well, this is just for myself. The gospel came to me, so I, I received it when I was a little kid, or I received it in 412, or I received it as an adult, so I'm going to hold on to that myself. Or are we sharing it with, with anyone? Remember this is for today. This is the scripture Of course, hit the Jews right square in the face, but this is for today. George Gallup, who you've heard about, writes this. Check this out. Never before in the history of the United States has the gospel of Jesus Christ made such inroads. I'm going to stop right there. Never has the gospel been more available than it is right now. I probably at any one time have the gospel on me in at least one form and oftentimes two. I carry around my big Bible and, and use that for preaching. I have a Bible sitting at my desk at home. I have a Bible on my downstairs desk at home. I have one in my car. I've got one on my cell phone. I've got one on my iPad. The Bible is available to us. I've got people I know that have got Bible verses tattooed on their arms, their hearts, their wrists. The Bible's available to us. There's, you got Jesus TV at home? Any of you that are on low basic cable, don't you have about 50 Jesus channels out there, Right? That they're talking about Jesus all the time. They're talking about this or that. Gee, the, the gospel is so available to us. According to George Gallup, it has made more inroads while at the same time. Now, if this doesn't gut you as a Christian, you're not paying attention. If you were bored and falling asleep, this is the time to plug back in. Making so little difference to how people actually live. Christians should think, <coughs> act, and feel differently. But as social scientists have done study after study after study over the last 20 years comparing to how Christians live and how non-Christians live, what they find is no discernible difference. How can that be so when we've been given the gospel? It's because we've become affiliated with it and not convicted by it. You know what affiliation is? You know, affiliation is, uh, some of you are saying, I'm a Cubs fan till the end. I'm cubbies blue till the end. But you know, if they lose tomorrow or tonight, you're going to go back to work. You're going to go back along your life. You're not going to live or die with the Chicago Cubs. We want them to win. You like them, and maybe some of your Indians fans too. But that's an affiliation. I even believe that my affiliation is United Methodist. My conviction is Christian. Our conviction needs to be in Christ. That means we've got to throw ourselves all the way in. Our conviction is, according to us, this is our conviction, our conviction is that we will make, we will make disciples. 
of Jesus Christ. We, we, will, we will manufacture disciples. We will do everything we can to help a person become not a disciple to a disciple. We will make disciples of Jesus Christ and we'll transform the world for the, for the kingdom. Those are our convictions. Are, are we thinking? Are we feeling? Are we acting the gospel in our lives? Well, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with the gospel that we've been given? And what will you do with what you've been given? You know, all of us have been given free will. You got free will, right? Important to know that free will is free. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You have responsibility for it. But you can do with it as you wish. See, free will can be wasted. You know, let me give you an example of how you can waste free will. If anybody in here has watched over 100 reruns of Love and Order... That's one of the ways you can waste your free will. If anybody's been crying and whining over the fact that Vine is shutting down, some of you don't know what that is, but then you've wasted some of your free will. There are so many ways to waste your free will, but one thing you can't manufacture is more time in which to use your free will. Free will can absolutely be wasted, and it can absolutely be used to advance the kingdom of God. And we make it so hard. Use your free will to advance the kingdom of God in your family. Make things for Christ better in your family. You don't have to reach so far. Family is a wide term. I get that. We're not just nuclear families of two and two and two and two and two and two anymore. Make things better in your family. If your family is one person, four persons, 25 people. For the kingdom of God, use your free will to make things better in your family. I've never once had anybody sitting at a funeral meeting with me and say, Pastor Mike, you know the thing we loved about Dad so much was, man, that guy could waste time. Oh my gosh, could he watch Law and Order. He was great at that. He could watch seven in a row, not even get up and go to the bathroom. Never, never had that once. But I've had a lot of times when people have sat with me in those kind of meetings, and by the way, that's usually when the structure of your life, your convictions of your life come out, at least for Keith and I when we meet a lot of people. When I've had people saying, oh my gosh, mom, dad, brother, spent their life trying to make our family better. Or, you know, you can use your free will to make your city better, your neighborhood better, and of course the world community better. By, of course, focusing your heart on Christ and letting it pour out on others. But free will... And the utilization of your free will, it's always a decision-based thing. It's a, it's a you thing. George E. Lamore was my mentor at, at college, one of the great spiritual disciples in my life. I'd like you to see on the screen what he wrote. And, and one thing about Lamore that we loved about him was he was an academic. He's an egghead. Some of you have probably heard him speak. Absolutely egghead. And by the way, <clears throat> he could pack three times as many words into the time that Keith and I spend preaching because he talks so fast. No way to keep light. But I wrote this down when I was an 18-year-old freshman sitting in his living room. He said, you're going to spend your life on something. Now, most academics would say, now give serious thought to what that is. That's what most academics would say, but not Dr. Lamore. He would say, give serious thought and then effort. Because what good is thought if it's not eventually accompanied by effort? So your free will can be used on whatever you want to. 
But give serious thought and then effort to what that will be. Now, I'm here to unapologetically and unashamedly say to you that I am here to influence you, and he is here to influence you, and all the things we do are here to influence you to spend your free will on advancing the kingdom of God. Anything else is outside my purview and, frankly, outside my interest. The question is, what will you do with what you've been given? Your answer, according to Jesus, has earthly and eternal consequences. And thirdly, what will you do with what you've been given? What are you going to do about the first world problems you have? Holy cow, do we have a lot of first world problems. You know what a first world problem is? When we worry about luxurious stuff. This, this uh, week, for instance, we, we've spent a lot of time, and I apologize this for as a church, you know, my question is, do we spend all what we have on comfort? Are most of our problems first world? You know, we spent a lot of effort on, on several things this week. Will the hot water heater in the church basement be ready for the bazaar? Probably four hours of your pastor's life went to that. Dealing with various service people, asking various questions. Will the elevator in Carnegie work? This morning the question is, how can we get the lights in the classroom for our four-year-olds to work? All, and of course, I always remind people when we're complaining about stuff in church, you know, Peter, Paul, they never had anything like this. And by the way, we're replacing this for something newer. Right? We have to remind ourselves that what the church really cares about is people. You know, I made fun of the heater, but far more important to us this week was a seven-year-old who's been diagnosed with leukemia in our congregation. Far more important was two members of this 830 congregation that had heart surgeries this week. Those things are far more important to us. But the whole world needs to be where we're pointing ourselves at. Remember... When we get most of our problems are first world, where our car get fixed, where our air conditioning work, well, all this kind of stuff. Remember the, the the parable of the rich man of Lazarus. It's so transparent. The rich man goes to hell. He ends up in hell for not even noticing Lazarus, for just focusing on his own money and the counting of it. Remind yourselves about those who spent their whole lives working for wealth. Some of the greatest empires in the world. Where are they now? Remember how the Roman Empire took over the whole world? Where is it now? Ruins. Remember the Ming Dynasty, how it took over half the world, built the Great Wall of China and all that? Where is it now? Best as I can tell, it's for sale on eBay. Really? Where is great and powerful Babylon? Can't be found. So then the question is, What happens to the empire that you're building with your life? Where is it going to be? What is the result of the empire that you're building? I want to remind us that so often we spend our time on first world problems. And we become so comforted that we we reject suffering and we flee from pain. And yet if we look at Lazarus, it's in the midst of pain and suffering that he's redeemed. If you look at the story of Job in the, in the Bible, 
You know, it's a story of sanity, sin, and suffering, and salvation. And, and there is Job, because of the way he suffers, being rewarded. Our witness to people, no matter what it is. If, it, if, if we have first world stuff, then I absolutely say, give it to those who can advance their lives. And we all are first world, by the way. But let's not flee from the difficulties of the world, or worse, become so obsessed with our first world stuff that we ignore the brokenness of people that are nearby us and and far away. And that has a lot to do with who we're listening to. So, So to whom are we listening and not listening? Well, the first thing, and I've said this many times, don't only listen to yourself. Myself gives me some bad advice sometimes. Has yourself ever given you bad advice? I mean, you know, it's trouble because when we we listen to ourselves, naturally our main interest is us, right? And when we're listening to our advice, we rarely say, okay, Mike, you got to think of everybody else, think of everybody else. Like, no, how do you get out of this? How do you advance yourself? Whatever. There is a rule in third grade, and, and you guys that are parents or grandparents know this rule very well. It's like this. He who cuts the cake doesn't get to pick the pieces, right? Do you have that in your homes? Well, I'll tell you what, when the girls would pick up a knife, I'd say, okay, if you cut it, she chooses it. Well, that gets the aiming a lot better, doesn't it? Because I'll tell you what, if Mona would have let me cut the cake when Mark and her were in the other room, man, I'd have got two-thirds of that thing. Oh, Mark, that's all that was left. (laughs) Bad for you. But that's who we are as people. We don't mean to be like that. And we need to remind ourselves, Martin Luther King once said, the greatest plague of humanity is that we tend to overestimate our own value and our ability. And I got to tell you, this happened right here, and I apologize if it was in your family, but it did happen, so I got to share it with you. There was a girl, she came into a wedding once. She was going to stand right here. I was pastor of the wedding. I stand over there. And she wasn't able to be here on the Friday night rehearsal, so she'd practiced earlier with the organist. I'm not going to name names. But I said to my organist, how is she? And she kind of did that eyebrow raise. I call this not, not awesome. And this poor little girl who had told me she was a great singer in her high school and her college, she got up here and she began to sing. And let me summarize it simplistically. We did not hear what she thought was coming out of her heart. What she came out, what was coming out of her heart, I know. It was great love and adoration for this family member of hers that was, what was getting married. But what I heard was I thought someone was stepping on a cat in the sanctuary. But that's who we are. We overestimate our own values and abilities sometimes. Because there was no one in the sanctuary that thought, wow, she is good. Unless you're a cat. (laughs) You're going to have to help me repent on this later, Keith. (laughs) A couple people in here right now that are planning to get married saying, wow, Pastor Mike's judgmental on the singers. but (laughs) Well, that's true, actually. But no, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) but when we listen to ourselves as our main source see it usually leads to two things one is man I'm good I'm really really good 
or typically even the opposite of that, which is probably even harsher. It says, I'm really bad. Because most everybody in here could finish the sentence, well, I'm really hardest on myself. Really hardest on myself. We can ruin and discount our own value too. We can count ourselves useless and our abilities no good. And we need a higher authority to speak into us. And I'll tell you what the higher authority is not. It's not the Joneses. Now this congregation knows who that is. I'm going to have to explain that later on. But we are not listening to the Joneses. See, the Joneses are those that, 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 have, that, that would tell us that we, we, through media or social media, that we need more stuff, that we need to get something different, that we need to change our behavior. And by nature, if we listen to the Joneses, it's narcissistic. It's a competition. And frankly, no one ever wins that competition because it doesn't ever end. So obviously, not surprising, in a preaching moment, here's who I recommend you listen to. Anybody want to guess? Really? Let's go with the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Weigh what you're hearing with the Lord's word. Take seriously the Lord's word. You know, it's so accessible to us. It's so accessible to us. More than half of you in here this morning have the word of God in your pocket right now in a cell phone. You can get to, if you say, if you want to do a little Google search, well, I'm thinking of stealing my neighbor's car. You type in, what does the Bible say about stealing your neighbor's car? It will tell you. It won't say car, but it will tell you what to, what to do about stealing. You, you need to weigh what you're about to do with the, with the word of the Lord. To choose God's voice, listen to this, as the loudest voice you hear all the time. Are, you, are your parents, is your spouse... Are your children important? Absolutely. Should you ever stop listening to them? Absolutely not. But there will be many speaking to you all the time, and you'll always get to choose your primary voice. And I say, choose the Lord, because he's the one that will help you align your purpose with him. Probably the one verse I really want you to go home with today comes from Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So what will be the outcome in your life? What will the outcome in your life be? Will you have Christ-like convictions where your thinking be in Christ? Now, I had a pastor ask me the other day. He says, hey, Pastor Mike, I had a guy talk to me in, in church this week. He said, I'm 95% committed to Christ, Pastor. I'm 95% committed. He says to me, Mike, if somebody in your congregation would say that to you, what would you tell them? I'd say they're 5% short. He says, good, that's what I said. You're 5% short. Are your convictions, you're thinking completely into, <clears throat> into Jesus? And I want to tell this because I, I tell it to students all the time, but I, I want you to hear it now. And, and students, that there, there are some of you sitting here. I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear this, and I want all of you to hear this. The minority of North Americans will think like Christ. The minority of North Americans will think like Christ. But everybody in heaven thinks like him. Everybody. Write that down. The minority of your classmates are going to think like Jesus. The minority of your workmates are going to think like Jesus. Even the minority in some of your families is going to think like Jesus. Everybody in heaven thinks like Jesus. Aspire towards that. Seek the mindset of Christ. 
and seek to have Christ-like character. Think to, think to have your feelings around that in a broken world, cling to the peace that Christ alone can answer, offer you, and let it rule in your heart. Let it rule in your heart. And let your conduct be Christ-like. Let all of your actions be Christ-like. John Wesley says this, let us have holy lives, holy tempers, and holy action. Let us be doers of the world. And even though I had it written down here, and you can check on this, Keith, I had this written in purple right there on my script. Pastor Keith left the previous sermon service saying this, live like someone rose from the dead for you. It's right there, Keith. Live like someone rose from the dead for you. That's the call to Christian living. That's why we get up here and to preach, to call you to that. It's why we focus on things like the parable of, of the rich man and Lazarus, and it's the message of that parable. So I'd ask that you receive it in every way, and let me call you to its living. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, we, we come this morning, and we hear the word interpreted, and we even right now need to be convicted because there was a couple times in there where we drifted off in thought process, thought about something other than hearing your everlasting gospel. We're less than inspired by the words of the man who is speaking, and yet, Lord, your word sears our souls. And so we lay down before you, and we pray, Lord, that, that you might turn our thinking to you, that, that we might be completely and fully convicted, not even just... 95%, but fully convicted to you that all of our thoughts might flow in confluence with you and that we might become one with you in, in all of our patterns of thoughts. And Lord, we pray that, that, that our character might align with you, that, that we might feel the peace that passes any human understanding that, that, that we desire to have, but, but only you can bestow upon it because we want to add things up in the world and the math is not always right and there is disaster seemingly coming on every single side, Lord. But if we have, are of the character of you, we feel the peace that can rule over not only our hearts but all of us, Lord. And so we ask, Lord, your strength, your power, that we might accept that. And Lord, we pray that we might be doers of the world, that, that, that all of our conduct might be patterned after our dear Christ Jesus and, and that we might be about acting for him. Lord, anything less than us thinking, feeling, and acting like you is not Christian. Anything less than proclaiming that is not preaching. So thank you, Jesus, that we have opportunity to hear one and do the other. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a peek at this video.
Lord, you have given us so many gifts, and we choose to return a portion of them to you. May these gifts be used by you to further your kingdom, to spread the gospel, and to meet the needs of those in this world who need uh, so greatly, Lord. We know the greatest need that anyone has is the need for a relationship with you and for your grace. May we bring that into this world as well as we recognize how much we truly have been given. Lord, may we extend that to everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Have a great week.